yesterday alone could fill this entire episode with stories and highlights. This past week in baseball has been exciting. From L.A. to Omaha to Atlanta, even Mexico. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Each week as I consider what to include in any episode of In the Bullpen, I think through about the things I want to discuss, the audio clips that I might use, and the like. And I always wonder, you know, with a a podcast that drops only once a week, the news of the past week is probably old news to anybody that follows the game of baseball. So, for instance, the Astros threw a combined no-hitter against the Yankees on Thursday. I'm assuming everybody knows about that. But at the same time, I don't want to miss out on the key events, the key news, the excitement of the past week. So I try to weave in things in some kind of a topical or thematic way. Uh, Some people, as a matter of fact, I received a text this morning, have asked me to be a little bit more personal in the sense of dealing with my career, talking about why I did this or what happened here or there. Uh, I'm a little bit reluctant to do so, but at the same time, I'm listening to you all, and that may happen sometime in the near future. One of the things that I trust is that at least what happened on Sunday is something that maybe you're not familiar with because you're listening to this if you listen to it when it drops, about noon on Monday. And so I'm going to begin with some highlights from yesterday. I can't stay there, but I want to touch on a couple of things, and I want to start with a highlight that I am completely confident you have not seen nor heard. ¿Dónde hay dos hombres que militaron junto a Bill conocidos en el béisbol mexicano? Bueno, varios. Wellington Dotel, uno de ellos. Por ahí también Body Bauman, que acaba de llegar. Brandon Cooney también está en ese equipo. Línea y la bola va para atrás. Con las maletas. En la puerta. Va fuera. Va la calle Justin Beer. Bienvenido a la Liga Mexicana. El señor Justin Beer le da también la bienvenida a Terán. Que con dos Audi y apenas diez picheos. Recibe un cuadrangular para poner al frente a Oaxaca. Ahora, una carrera por cero. María. So I was right, correct? You've never seen or heard that. It was from yesterday. Obviously, it was not, it was either not in our country or it was on a Spanish podcast or a broadcast, but it was something from Mexico. And I was never great with the Spanish language, but I understand less now than I did even three or four years ago. But four words jumped out at me. Linea, Payacaye, and Justin Bird. Linea, a line drive, home run by Justin Bird. In Mexico, in Tijuana, Mexico, where I actually played winter ball way back when, Justin Bird, who, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, well, I guess at least a year, because it was almost a year ago, it was June 21st, 2021, that the podcast was titled, Learning Contentment, an interview with Justin Bird. Justin Bird had been playing in the American Association in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
He just signed with a team in Mexico, flew from Lincoln down to San Diego, went to Tijuana, and played his very first game. That was his very first at-bat in the Mexican League. It was the third pitch that he saw from an ex-big leaguer, Julio Tehran. And he went yard. And if you're interested, that was 382 feet with an exit velocity at 98.7 miles an hour. What a great story. Justin Bird is somebody that I've come to know in the last two years. He is involved in a Zoom Bible study that we do on Friday. Uh, He is a great man. He is seeking to honor and glorify the Lord with his life, including his life in baseball. He shows up in Mexico, three pitches into his career in Mexico. He takes a former major leaguer deep. And as impressive as that home run was, it's impressive to me because he's my friend. And it just brings me great joy to see him have that immediate success in his first at-bat. And 382 feet with an exit velocity of 98.7 miles per hour is nothing to scoff at. It's impressive. But it doesn't quite measure up to this home run. For Shohei, 3-1. Hammer! Destroy that baseball! Stare it down! Sigourney! We're tied at one, Otani 16th. He did. That was a home run on Saturday for Shohei Otani. He did hammer that ball 462 feet with an exit velocity of 118 miles per hour. I'm going to replay the clip, just the first part of it. But in case you missed it, listen to the sound of the bat. Remember now, this is a sound that you hear that has been recorded and then I end up recording or putting into the soundboard. Listen to the sound of the ball meeting the bat. For Shohei, 3-1. Hammer! That is an amazing sound. And if you're there in person, if you were to, say, hear that in a batting practice situation or if you were on deck and you heard that, it is a sound that is distinct and unique. And Shohei Otani is undeniably distinct and unique in the history of Major League Baseball. Now, he went 0 for 2 yesterday, had a couple of walks, but through Saturday, he was in a five-game hitting streak when he hit that home run. And over those five games, he was batting 430 with three home runs and 10 RBI. Earlier in the week, he did something that is truly mind-boggling from a statistical or baseball standpoint. First, on Tuesday night, at the plate, he went 3 for 4 with two home runs and eight RBI. The next night, He was the starting pitcher for the Angels. He went eight innings, gave up only two hits, no runs, and struck out 13 batters. Back-to-back nights, eight RBI, 13 strikeouts. Babe Ruth never in his career had eight RBI. Never in his career did Babe Ruth, as a pitcher, strike out 13. Shohei Otani did it in back-to-back nights. Here's another thing I came across on social media. Here are some people who have never had eight RBI in their career. Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, Albert Pujols. And here are pitchers that never struck out 13 batters in a game at any point in time in their career. Lefty Grove, Catfish Hunter, Jack Morris, Tom Glavin. And you will recognize that all of the pitchers are in the Hall of Fame. Hank Aaron is in the Hall of Fame. Albert Pujols will most undoubtedly be in the Hall of Fame, and Barry Bonds would be if it weren't for other things. 
None of them have done this. And again, in two days, Shohei did both. Which makes something else I read this past week also amazing, not in a necessarily positive way. I read an article that was uh, about a poll done on MLB.com. A poll about who are the leading contenders for most valuable player, both in the American and National League. And here's the list in the American League, the top five. Number five, Jordan Alvarez with Houston. Number four, Rafael Devers with Boston. Number three, Mike Trout with the Angels. Number two, Jose Ramirez with Cleveland. And number one, Aaron Judge with the Yankees. Help me understand how it's possible that Shohei Otani's not even in the top five. Now, if somebody wants to make the argument that they believe most valuable player has to be somebody that that is on a team that's contending, right? Either makes the postseason or at least contended to get there. You know, going back to the late 80s when Andre Dawson won the MVP with the Cubs who finished last. The argument is, well, they could have finished last without Andre Dawson. This isn't about the most impressive player, but valuable player. And value is, in large part, what they bring to a team that's competing. If that's your argument, I think you have a legitimate argument. The problem with this poll is that Mike Trout is number three. It's not the problem that he's number three. It's the problem that Shohei Otani is not in this top five at all. I believe he's got to be number one. These other five guys are having phenomenal seasons. But Shohei Otani, I think we, I think the issue is, is that we just kind of go, well, yeah, you know, that was exciting last year and oh, well, let's move on. No, 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 we can't do that. And the fact that he's not in this top five is just absolutely unbelievable and truly mind-boggling from my perspective. Now, I'll calm down a little bit and, and let you know, not all the news, not all the excitement in baseball took place in professional baseball this past week or these last couple of days. Yesterday, in Omaha, Nebraska, the College World Series finished and there was crowned a 2022 NCAA Division I champion. One-two pitch. Struck him out! From last four in to last team standing, Ole Miss has won the College World Series. Ole Miss, the last team to qualify for the tournament, is the last team standing. They are the 2022 Division I College World Series champions. And I congratulate the Rebels. That's their first ever College World Series championship. Going back to pro ball, as you all know, the last World Series championship team is the Atlanta Braves. They are the defending champions. On Friday, the former Brave, lifetime Brave until this year, Freddie Freeman returned to Atlanta, returned as the Dodgers came into Atlanta to play the Braves. And it was Friday especially, but the whole weekend, very emotional and very special for Freddie Freeman and for Braves fans.
manager Brian Stitker is proud to present Freddie with his World Series Championship ring. So that was just a portion of the pregame ceremony on the field. It began with them showing highlights on the huge video scoreboard of Freddie Freeman and his time with the Braves, them winning the World Series last year. Then he is announced. He comes onto the field. Brian Snitker is there. Fans are going nuts. Freddie is losing it. Can't, cannot keep his composure. Tears of joy. And, and then he receives the World Series ring, and at the end of that audio clip, he put it on and showed it to all the Braves fans. And then also later on in that pregame ceremony on the field, uh, Freddie Freeman had the microphone and spoke to the fans. There is that, which I recommend that you watch. There's a pregame press conference that I recommend that you watch, and then also there's video of his first at-bat in that game. And in all three of those scenarios, Freddie was brought to tears. Very moving to watch. I recommend that you do so. And I was moved in watching it. And I guess if I was a Braves fan, I might have been moved to tears. But I wasn't, at least not as it regards this event on Friday, as it regarded Freddie Freeman and the Braves. But something else on Friday did move me to tears. As I was driving down the road sometime a little bit after 10 o'clock, I heard the news. I heard the news that the United States Supreme Court overturned both Roe and Casey. And it brought me to tears. And I, I was just so grateful and and really so shocked to a degree. I know we had the leaked document a while back, but still, it is something, I'm 58. It's something that I didn't think and a lot of people didn't think was going to happen in my lifetime, and it did on Friday. And so, as I'm celebrating this, my family is celebrating this, our church is celebrating this, I'm waiting and I'm watching waiting and watching for the reaction in Major League Baseball by anybody in Major League Baseball. Now, there has been nothing one way or the other so far as of Monday morning as it regards the Major League Baseball industry or what we know as Major League Baseball. Now, the NBA and WNBA has released a statement against or or saying they're in support of women's rights to have abortion, as if there is such a thing. But so far, nothing from Major League Baseball. Now, I have seen things in which people are calling on Major League Baseball to make a statement. I've seen people saying that the players ought to kneel during the anthem or ought to not play, kind of reminiscing back to a couple of summers ago. But so far, nothing. But I've been watching, not so much for Major League Baseball, though definitely that, I've been watching to see, okay, there are a number of believers who are outspoken about their belief who post on social media that they are Christians. 
and I've been watching and waiting. Is anybody going to tweet anything? Well, so far, again, as of Monday morning, I've come across three uh, tweets in this case, but in, in all social media, three statements made by people involved in Major League Baseball. One is by a person who works in the front office. The other two are players. The first one I came across is the front office person. He works in the front office for the Seattle Mariners. I believe he oversees their player development uh, department. Andy McKay, I actually heard him speak several years back at a conference. I, I enjoyed his speech very much. But he sent this out publicly. To every woman, he said women, but it should be to every woman who has just lost her right to control what happens to her body, and to every person in a same-sex relationship who has been put on notice that your rights are about to be, quote-unquote, reconsidered, I am sorry. I can't imagine what you must be feeling right now. This isn't right. Then this from Liam Hendricks, the closer for the Chicago White Sox. If this had anything to do with men, there'd be no chance that this would be overturned. And that's something that's disgraceful. And then finally, last night, I came across this from David Price. Their body, their choice, and then in all caps, period. And by the way, uh, as of last night, he had 46,000 plus likes to that statement. So that's what I've seen. I've seen three men involved in Major League Baseball from ownership all the way down even to minor league players so far that I've discovered. But I've not seen a single Christian celebrating the decision. I disagree. I'm not, I'm not going to even entertain what they wrote because it's ridiculous. But the fact is, is at least Andy McKay, Liam Hendricks, and David Price had the conviction and, and maybe courage. I don't think it takes a lot of courage to, to be on that side of things, but at least a conviction to say, I'm going to say something, or in this case, I'm going to write something. I've seen zero Christians writing anything in social media. I see zero Christians celebrating the decision, zero Christians, that is, that are involved in Major League Baseball. Not a single one. Now, I am not very astute. I don't have much savvy as it regards social media. And so I might be missing something. However, because I recognize that, on Friday, I sent a message out to a group of men that I am involved with, uh, uh, it's in Signal, where it's a bunch of people, brothers in Christ, who are baseball guys. And I asked them, guys, would you do me a favor? Would you keep an eye out for anybody from ownership down that puts anything out there in which they celebrate this decision? They praise and thank God for this decision. And then I think it was the next day I actually put it on Twitter. So now, not only do this does this group of men have it, but anybody who might see my Twitter. And again, I don't have a lot of Twitter presence, but I put it out there. You know what? Zero. Still zero. As of Monday morning, zero. Seeking anybody I could reach out to and saying, please send me something if you see it. Now I'm saying it to all of you, which is even a bigger group than the group that might read my Twitter. Have you seen anything? If you have, please let me know. I have a Facebook page, personal, as well as in the bullpen, and on Twitter, at in the bullpen FLF. But the question I have is why? Why have I not seen a single Christian say anything, write anything, celebrating, rejoicing, thanking and praising God for this monumental decision? 
Well, one possible reason is that they are scared. They fear the thoughts, the criticism, the mocking, the scorn, the anger, and maybe even the violence of men. They are scared. That's an option. Now, if you listen to my In the Bullpen Up and Ready, which is something I drop Monday through Saturday, it's typically a four to six minute biblical exhortation. If you listen to that, and if you listen to the one that dropped at 5 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, I quoted from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that Up and Ready, from his work, The Cost of Discipleship. The first words of that work are these. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We're fighting today for costly grace. Now, of course, he wrote that many decades ago, but that's still the fight. And Bonhoeffer, in that first chapter, compares cheap grace and costly grace. He writes, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. I don't get it. You're not being asked even to pluck out your eye that causes you to stumble, but to celebrate in the providential goodness and grace and mercy of God upon us, upon millions of babies, upon our nation. And nobody is doing so that I can see. These men openly profess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but I have not seen any of them give thanks to King Jesus for what has happened. I have not seen any of them give thanks to the five justices who ruled according to the Constitution to begin with, and more importantly, the Word of God. And I've thought about this. I've always been an admirer and and truly respected Clarence Thomas. But I've thought about this. If I could go to a baseball game with one person alive today, I think it would be him. And I say that knowing that that might not be the safest thing to do because the people who want him wiped out wouldn't be concerned about collateral damage and they might not be the best shots in the world and I'd be sitting next to him. But nonetheless, I would love to do so. I don't know if he's a baseball fan or not. I don't know if I could help him understand the game more than he already does or not. But I know this, I would be honored to attend a baseball game with him. But he's not been thanked. The the other four have not been thanked that I can see. There's been no thanksgiving for all of those who have labored, labored, some for 50 years. All of them that labored to see what took place on Friday. People who stood outside of abortion mills and took vile verbal abuse, sometimes even suffering physical harm, to speak out against this murderous act, to call out to women pleading with them not to abort their child, offering help. And I've seen this. I've witnessed this firsthand. But I've not seen any thanks to any of those people, and most of all to King Jesus. Yet these same Christians are quick to post about great special events in their lives. Teammates that they've played with and and that they they have a, a lot of respect for. Impressive accomplishments on and off the field. And all of that's good and right. Consider how I began this episode. The highlight of a man that most of you have never heard of. The highlight none of you have heard until today. Why did I do that? Because this is a man that I respect and admire who is living tenaciously seeking to glorify God. And so I'm going to let you know about him. 
He may never play in affiliated ball. He hasn't yet. He may never play a day in the big leagues. But I'm honoring him and I'm telling you about him because it excites me, because I'm I'm happy for him, because it's a blessing to do so. So all of that makes sense, but why not this? Why not this decision? Why not rejoice that for almost 50 years, we have been killing babies so-called legally, 60 million plus babies. So quick to stand up for Black Lives Matters. Some of these same Christians, and they're not standing up here. And I'm not even asking them to stand up. I'm asking them simply to say, thank you, King Jesus. Praise to you, King Jesus, that you have brought about these events, that you worked through men and women some we know very well, like presidents and Supreme Court justices, some we've never met, standing on a street corner somewhere with a sign. Why? Why nothing? Why silence? As I said, one option is, or one possibility, is they're scared to celebrate publicly. But here's another one. Another option as to why I'm not seeing anything is that they're not celebrating. They're not happy. They don't think this is a good thing. And if this is the reason, then these people need to ask themselves a serious question. Am I making a profession of faith in Christ without possessing saving faith in Him? They need to ask that question seriously and consider it prayerfully. Now, yesterday, a good friend of mine asked me, when we were talking about this. So do you think that they have a moral obligation to use their social media platform to proclaim their joy in this decision? And my answer to my buddy was, yes, I believe they do. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.